Hi guys, this is In Bed with Omotayo, your social media talk show where we have conversations about our relationship with ourselves, um, our friends and our family, our career and work, our purpose, our romantic relationships, and our relationships with God and faith. It's been so long since I've recorded a podcast episode and I'm really sorry about that. I kind of got overwhelmed with how much social media I had expected to do. But this month of March, um, I'm talking about women and our relationship with ourselves, really. Um, I'm exploring the fact that there are differences between men and women. I know that that is a controversial idea, but I want to look at it from a biblical perspective. So away from the cultural pressures and stereotypes and the negative elements of patriarchy in our society that are undeniable and evident throughout millennia. Is there an element of the difference between men and women that we can identify, like in a pure way, like in the way God designed it to be? Um, So that's what this episode is going to be about. Settle in. I expect that it might be a little bit lengthy. So please take your time, you know, grab some tea. I don't drink tea. I don't like tea. Um, Juice, maybe wine um, and just settle in. And I hope that this episode at least gets you thinking about a different perspective of seeing how women can be. Um, And I really, really look forward to hearing from you as well, because I don't I'm not acting like I know everything. I'm literally here sharing the thoughts that I've had and developed and things I've kind of workshopped and studied in the Bible a little bit. But my perspective is limited to my experiences and my personality. And so I'd really love to hear some of your thoughts as well. If you're listening but you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to my podcast. And if you're listening on a platform that allows you to rate it or to send a comment, please, please do so. I'd really love to hear from you. All right, let me dive in to today's topic. So I want to start from the beginning, which is, you know, the very best place to start. Um, Looking at where women came from. You know, when you think about genders, again, this it's so politicized and also polarized in today's day and age. I think it's because a lot of people genuinely believe that the only difference between the male and the female expressions is the physical parts that we have. And so I think if we go back to Genesis and we look at the creation story, it'll give us a starting point to explore what God's perspective of creation is. So in the beginning, um, in the creation story, God said at some point, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle and over the entire earth and over everything that creeps and crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. It's interesting if you read in in certain versions, for instance, in the Amplified version that I'm reading from, when it says, then God said, let us, it explains in brackets who us is. And it says us is God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say, so God created man in his own image. In the image and likeness of God, he created him. 
male and female he created them so there's this idea of a them that is comprised of male and female attributes male and female expressions and that it is that them that is the image and likeness of god right it's like saying if i say you know i want to make a dress in the image and likeness of a chanel dress i saw online then i'm going to take that chanel dress and i'm going to look at it and what i'm replicating is the image and the likeness of the dress that i saw online a few years ago i realized that not every christian understands the idea of trinity and so that might be actually the best place to start um we know as christians or we believe that god is one god is more than we can imagine god is infinitely beyond what we can conceive with our minds but god has given us this um, benchmark this way to approach him where we understand that there are there's an expression of him as a father there's an expression of him as a son and there's an expression of him as holy spirit now when you think about how men are created um, they grow up to be fathers and they have the responsibility to provide to protect to promote um, but they get that responsibility they get that role they get that outline or the guidelines of how to behave because they look to god the father the male patriarch in the trinity who provides and protects and that that's who god the father is and so even though we can never be god in our human expression we can pattern ourselves after this ideal spiritual being who we all know goes beyond just male or female gender because god is spirit right so he transcends gender in fact he created gender to give us a picture of what we could emulate but he's more than that he's bigger than gender however when looking to the godhead for someone to emulate in your role as a man you can look to god the father um when looking to the godhead to understand how your role as a child as offspring as a, you know a son someone with responsibility someone who is the child of you know people who brought you to this world we can look at jesus the bible talks about how you know he submitted himself to his parents and so he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with god and man the bible talks about how even though he was a son of god he submitted himself unto death even death on the cross the bible talks about how like he learned obedience through the things he suffered and that gives us the pattern of how children are meant to be children are meant to obey our parents even though it hurts us sometimes even though we feel like we know better sometimes we're meant to humble ourselves um, under the authority of our parents which is what jesus did jesus humbled himself under the authority of his father even though by being god he's equal to his father and so we see that and we can emulate that as children jesus also gives us another interesting um revelation or another interesting picture of what we can expect to pattern ourselves after when it talks about marriage for instance the bible says husbands love your wives as christ loves the church and gave himself for it and so men who are husbands in marriages are able to look to jesus and say okay how did Jesus give himself for the church? And then we see the sacrificial elements. We see how he loved the world so much. You know, how he would say, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. How he would, you know, look into the hearts of the people he talked to and he would speak to their heart rather than to 
what they're saying. So people around him would ask him questions and he would answer questions that go deeper than what they were able to articulate. Um, for instance, if we look at the experience where Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, you know, she was obviously being a little like, you know, defensive and a little like, what are you doing here? Why are you talking to me? This is inappropriate, you know, but she was, you know, she was kind of needling him. Like, why are you here? You don't believe the same thing. You know, you guys think you're better than us. And Jesus could see through her defensiveness to see that she was hurting because she had been in several relationships that were unfulfilling. And he was like, you've been in all these relationships. You haven't found anyone to fulfill you. I'm the one who can give you living water so that you don't have to thirst anymore. Like what you're looking for in all these relationships, you won't find the satisfaction there. But you can find your satisfaction in God. You can find your satisfaction in a relationship with the creator. And so we can see that that's like the ideal kind of man. Like you want a man like that. You want your husband to be able to see beyond your moods, your attitudes, your fears really and to be able to speak to the concerns of your heart because that makes you feel seen that's what lets you know that like this guy gets you you know and jesus says he's the groom he's the husband of the church and so we're like wow like that's what jesus gives to us that's what he represents to us again jesus is bigger than a man he's bigger than just any husband but this example is given to us in scripture so that we know kind of what to expect from people we know that they cannot be Jesus. We know that they cannot be God. But we know that if that's who they're looking to, you know how the Bible says, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. If we know that we're looking to Jesus as our pattern, as our example, then we know that at least we're striving for something that is beyond our failures it means that we're not just sitting down and saying well too bad i failed i messed up so don't expect me to be perfect but instead we're apologizing where we fall short and we're trying to actually be there for the other person as much as possible now i find this really powerful and it's really um helpful for us when we're going through life but i really believe that there is a gap I believe that when it comes to women, we haven't been taught that we have a representation within the Godhead that we can look to, to say this is who we should pattern ourselves after. And my argument is that there is a figure within the Godhead that actually has the attributes that we can also pattern ourselves after when we're thinking about our role as women. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is the custodian of the characteristics that women need to look to when looking for an example within the Godhead of what it means to be a woman. Now, the first time I shared this on my YouTube channel was actually in 2020. And I remember, I, I, literally, I was asking outrightly, is Holy Spirit a feminine um, member of the Godhead? And there was a resistance to the idea because it seemed heretical. But I'm not taking away from the male attributes of the Godhead. In fact, the Godhead has two male attributes, the Father and the Son. And there's only one feminine character within that Godhead. And so it's not to take away from the men. You know, I definitely know that there is a school of thoughts where people say, you know, worship women and believe that women are God. And, you know, and then there's a fear that women then become rebellious and then become manipulative and then it becomes you know negative in a spiritual way it leads into things like witchcraft and things like you know goddesses and worship of you know the sun the moon and stars and all kinds of funny deities and that's not where i'm going where i'm going is i believe in the one God. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. It's just that I also believe that God the Holy Spirit has a feminine element when looking toward the Godhead for a representation of what women are like. 
one of the questions I got in 2020 was, why is this important? Why do you need to come and start seeing all of this? Why is it important for women to have a representation within the Godhead? The main issue is that over the centuries and over millennia, since, since the fall from the garden, women have felt like we're property. Women have been fighting against the negative treatment that we've experienced with men. Women are subjugated Women are pressed down. Women are pushed down. Women not being allowed to vote. Women not being allowed to go to school. Women not being allowed to work. Women not being allowed to express themselves. Women not being allowed to speak. Women not being, being allowed to go outside. Women not being allowed to start businesses, to participate in society. That's because historically in the church, the historical church, all the way till today, and in our cultures, we've been taught that women are lesser. Religion has supported that because it looks like God created the man. Then as an afterthought, he was like, mm, let me just remove one rib, and just make this woman. And so we feel like we are under and that we are less than. But I don't believe that that is the picture that God wanted us to have. And over the years, we've seen how feminism has kicked and kicked and kicked against this. So much so that when you look at minorities, when we talk about minorities, we say women and other ethnicities. Meanwhile, women make up exactly 50% of the population. So we're not the minority. And yet we're paid less, we're valued less, um, we're overlooked. And these are all very valid social issues that we see in every different culture in different ways. Now, one of the arguments that my dad, for instance, used to have with me is that he used to say there's no oppression in you know, in our culture, because he would say he grew up where his grandmother had businesses, she traded, she had a house, her own house, not her husband's house that she built herself. He grew up in her house. So that's what he has always seen, strong women. However, the fact that there was empowerment in one regard doesn't take away the fact that we did still have oppression. It's just that it took a different form. So the Yoruba women could trade and they could build their own houses. They still couldn't speak up around men. Um, the Igbo women could vote. You know, they had their own committees. They had their own like political parties, but just kind of like organized and structured differently at the time. But, you know, your father owns you. It's those kinds of things that we still see running across the, um, the African or Nigerian cultural system. However, it definitely is different from in the West where British and American women couldn't even vote. They couldn't participate in business, you know, in those kinds of things. However, we could do that over here. But one thing that all women had is that we were all subject to the approval of the men in our lives, our fathers and our husbands. And that kind of came down from our interpretation of how God made us. Did he make us equally? Um, or did he make us to be supporters, to be addendums, to be just appendages to the men, just the vehicle for procreation and that's all. Now, I think that there is a very, very evident biological difference. It is very clear that women are the custodians of babies and that men are the ones who put the babies in the women's bellies and that once there is a baby in your belly that's one year gone from your life where you have to tend the baby grow the baby in you where you can't do the same things that men can do physically because you have to take care of the baby in your stomach and in those times when women could have up to 10 children or up to 10 pregnancies intentionally and deliberately that's 10 years of your life and so imagine that a woman spent her life monitored by her cycle 
you know, you're on your period, or you're not on your period, and then you get pregnant, and then that baby comes out and needs tending for another maybe six months, and then you get pregnant again, and that's just the cycle of life for women, and by the time they can come up for air and breathe and actually look at life outside of this domesticated position, and then you're grooming your kids, grooming your daughters for their own marriages, and then when they start to have kids, you're then responsible for taking care of them and helping them with their own children and helping them settle into their own husband's homes, and so it's very clear to see how women have been relegated to a very domestic role in history. It's biology. At the same time as biology has been in existence, technology has also improved. And so now we know we can control how many kids we choose to have, even though that's also controversial depending on what um, religious affiliation you have. But also you can work even while you're pregnant, even while you're nursing, you can hire help. There's technology that makes things easier. You don't have to go for 10 pregnancies because you're no longer scared that maybe five of your kids would die. Because that was one of the reasons why people had so many children. It's because there were so many illnesses, kids would just die from things that are so easily treatable now. And so maybe you'd have 12, 13 children and you hope that maybe five survive. But now you can actually have your five children barring acts of God and other unprecedented um, events your children are likely to live to a good old age and so you no longer need to have multiple children just in case as an insurance and so you can space your life out you can be more measured with technology now you can work from home and you can earn a decent salary and so we're seeing that life has eased up on women and given us room to actually breathe and to realize that there are more options for us but the truth is that is the history that we are coming from that is our history women didn't just wake up one day to start fighting against men for no reason technology has made it easier for us to fight technology has made it easier for us to have some independence from the men i say this because sometimes i think we lose the historical context when we're having these arguments we have definitely inherited some things that we no longer need women cooking was because you're the one at home you're the one taking care of the home because he's spending all day out you know hunting and things like that and if you can't do what he's doing then you have to kind of provide for him when he comes back you know what i mean it was a balanced sort of arrangement at some point as human beings we are fallible we are weak and we are drawn to power we take advantage whenever we can like if you look at a child for instance the moment you say yes to something they're going to ask you a hundred more times for that thing and the moment you put a boundary they're going to push against that boundary as hard as they can until you fall or until they realize that you're not going to um let go of that boundary that's how all human beings are we will push is that that saying that says give give you an inch you take a mile that's our nature and so the more i guess the you know within men and women they realize that like women had no choice so you had to be you had to be somebody who had good character to treat a woman well but most people didn't have good character so it was just expected that you would treat a woman anyhow because she had no choice but to depend on you because she couldn't live by herself because she couldn't fend for herself and the women who then could fend for themselves had to do so by relying on men with unscrupulous characters to provide for them so maybe you got pregnant because some guy raped you and now everybody thinks that you're a prostitute so you go ahead making a living as a prostitute and then you you know start a brothel and you help other women it starts off as being your only choice and then it ends up being a career path do you know what i mean like life evolves organically like that culture is not something that somebody read out one day and said this is what the culture is going to be and everyone agreed no culture is 
what has evolved from the way we have interacted with each other over the years. But now we're in 2023 and women no longer need to depend on men for a living. I, for instance, have been able to live by myself for maybe about five years, mostly fending for myself and I don't have a husband. I think one of the reasons why women are getting married later and later is because 20 years ago, a woman couldn't live by herself and fend for herself without there being some stigma. But now you can fend for yourself. You can even get pregnant and take care of your child for yourself. You can even still get a corporate nine to five job, even as a single mother in today's day and age, without the stigma that you would have gotten 20 years ago. And so the structures that governed the relationship between men and women 100 years ago, 50 years ago, and again, just as early as 20 years ago, those structures have disappeared. And with that is coming more and more liberation. And so one big thing is being questioned more and more. What is the role of this gender difference? If for centuries and millennia, the only advantage men had was that they could earn money and women couldn't. And now that advantage has been taken away from them. Then what's left? What's the point of a man if you don't need him for money anymore? And what's the point of a woman? I was thinking about this the other day and, I, and I, was, I was actually very tempted to think that the only person who still has value is the woman. Obviously, that's incorrect. But what I was coming from was if we needed money from the man and now we can make money, what did the man need from us? And really, the man needed from us sex and offspring. And it's like he still needs us to get those things. <laughs> that's kind of the rhetoric that has gone on in society over the years. A lot of um, em women empowerment speeches informally and formally talk about getting your bag, getting that money money making that money because for so many centuries men have held money over us they have held provision over us they have pushed us down because they were our source and now we're like i don't need you anymore hey if you're still listening this is just a reminder to please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to send me your comments your questions your contributions or any opinions that you'd like to share, my email address is heyomotayo at gmail.com. That's H-E-Y-O-M-O-T-A-Y-O at gmail.com. You can also check out my Instagram. I'm also there at heyomotayo. Feel free to send me a DM. Say hello. Okay, now I'm going to let you continue listening. <laughs> and so we're in an interesting place where for a Christian, for someone who still wants to follow the guidelines of the Bible, we recognize that there's still this feeling as if God still wants us to work together for some reason. And I think the question is why? What's the reason? What's the purpose? What's the benefit? And so I started to think about it even from last month um, when I was talking about love a lot. I don't think I did any single podcast in February. I apologize. And then it went a bit deeper than that. It went to um, a few of the teachers that I follow that I respect um, whose teachings I would I would take at face value before doing any more research. Particularly, I'm thinking about Chris Vallotton um, from Bethel Ministries. He teaches that the role of men is to protect, to provide, and to promote. Now, assuming that he arrived at that from years of Bible study and revelation, from his relationship with God, and you know, from his growth in ministry as a teacher, as a prophet, and as a pastor, as a husband, as a father to his own biological children, as a grandfather, as a father to other spiritual children within his ministries, thousands and thousands of them that he has raised over the years, um, 
And when I look at the the people in Bethel, when I look at the ministries in Bethel and how empowered every generation is to to take up their role, their their stance, their identity in Christ. When I compare that, for instance, to the churches I see in Nigeria, I don't see that same kind of fatherhood being passed on. A lot of the time, younger people break away from the bigger churches to start their own. They still respect the, their father and the faith, but there's been some uncomfortable occurrence in, you know, when they want to take on more responsibility, the father seems to want to push them down. And so they break away and start their own. And then maybe years later, they start to mend fences. But it's always this breaking apart and starting your own thing that I have seen within the Nigerian um, church. But when I look at Bethel, I see their children thriving, um, starting up their own ministries, but even still being within the same community. I see the children being able to stand on stage and speak and prophesy without needing to genuflect and just be overly, what's the word I'm looking for, subjugated to one Lord and Master prophets above them all. I see an equality in handing over responsibility, a trust and a respect and equal value being placed on their generations. I mean, I see 70 year old men who founded a church and have experienced massive supernatural things, handing over responsibility to their grandchildren who are in their twenties and giving them room to grow and to lead masses and masses of people in revival, speak prophetic word, do miracles without it being that you have to No, you only have to talk to Papa. The only person that can pray for you is this person. Like I see a place where they've really learned how to pass on the gift of the spirit and to empower everyone to feel confident in having that direct relationship with God. I say all of that because that's the reason why I admire them. That's the reason why I admire Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton because I see them fathering generations of people and I see the confidence that these people have and I see them do this with men and with women. And so I would listen to someone like that. <laughs> and so Chris Vallotton says that the role of a man is to protect, provide and promote. And I say in a world where a woman does not necessarily need the physical protection of one man because she can hire security or live in a gated estate. In a world where a woman does not need physical provision because she can make her own money. In a world where a woman does not need a man to promote her because she can do it on social media. What is the role of a man? If that was the outline that God has given to us, if that's what God the Father does for us, if that's what Jesus in his role as the groom, the husband of the church, is patterning out for us, then what is the real meaning of protecting, providing, and promoting? It cannot be about money because God's word cannot be subject to cultural changes. And that means that money was just a symbol. Money was just the the way we measured it in the past but it means that it's deeper than money because when jesus came to earth he didn't have money what he had was his relationship with his father and the power of the holy spirit and even now in our relationship with christ what christ gives us when he protects us is not based on the house or the security at the gates it's spiritual when god provides for us we know that it's not always money in the bank account. Sometimes it's friendship. Sometimes it's providing comfort. And when God promotes us, 
You know, the Bible says promotion does not come from man, it comes from God. He does it in supernatural ways. And so if these two things are true, if they're true, if it is true that God's word to the man, to the father and to the husband is to provide, promote and protect. And if it is true that now women are able to provide, promote and protect themselves physically and financially, God must have meant provide, promote and protect in a way that transcends the physical alone. The physical is one aspect of it, is one expression of it. But God has often put several couples together where the woman earned more money than the man. Which means that provision is not about money. And so it's important to then ask, what then is the role of a man in a woman's life? What then does it mean from God's perspective to provide, protect and promote a woman? And by looking at it from that perspective, can we then ask the question, what does a woman need that a man can provide that goes beyond material things. I think that one of the most essential things about the marriage union is that we come together because we believe in each other, because we see each other, because we value each other, and that goes beyond the physical. Now I'm going to go back to the creation story. God created male and female in his image and his likeness, which means that his own image is male and female. If we can look to the Godhead, for how they came together to put this world together. Can we see a pattern of perhaps how God expects the family to operate? I'm reading from um, Genesis 1 verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, created by forming from nothing the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, or a waste and emptiness. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving, hovering, brooding, over the face of the waters and God said let there be light and there was light what I see in the creation story even in these verses is the triune God working together and to understand this um, I'm going to go to John chapter 1 from verse 1 it kind of replicates this creation story but from a perspective that shows us really the role of Jesus within that because when we read those verses, we don't really see Jesus literally there. We see God the Father, I think. <laughs> we see the Spirit, but we don't really see the Son. And so John chapter 1 gives us that perspective. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was continually existing in the beginning, co-eternally with God. I'm reading from the Amplified Version. All things were made and came to existence through him. And without him, not even one thing was made that has come into being. In him was life and the power to bestow life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it or overpower it or appropriate it or absorb it and is unreceptive to it. Let's go back to Genesis 1. So where was Jesus here? I think then Jesus is in, in verse 3 where the Bible says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. That is Jesus. Jesus is the, is the word. In him was light. The word was spoken and the light was in the word. And the light that was in the word was established. I believe that the spirit of God moving over the face of the waters is the one who executes the word that is spoken. And I believe that the word that is spoken comes from the mind of the father. I believe that that's how the trinity works. And I believe that when it comes to the role of women in the world, but seen through the lens of marriage first, because that's what God gave us first, we can see that same thing happening. 
we can see God the Father having a vision, the Spirit hovering in preparedness, waiting for the, for the instruction. And we can see the word released that allows the action to be established. Now, when it comes to the man and the woman in the Bible, it's very interesting to note um, when you look at Genesis chapter 2, that when the woman was created, her name was woman. Remember that in Genesis, when God was creating the animals and bringing them to Adam, the Bible says that whatever Adam called those animals, that was their name. And then in verse 23, Genesis 2 verse 23, when God had fashioned the woman, he brought her to the man and Adam said, this is now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. So verses before, they brought a snake. You know, Adam would say, that's a snake. They brought an elephant. That's an elephant. They brought a monkey. That's a monkey. And in all of that, he was like, mm, this is not. Actually, let's, let's go up a little bit to look at it. Now the Lord God said, it is not good, beneficial for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart who is suitable and complementary for him. So the Lord formed out of the ground every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. God said it is not good for man to be alone. And then the next thing he did was start creating animals. Why? Well, it's interesting when we see that he brought them to him and he said whatever Adam would call them, that would be the name of that creature. So I feel like he was teaching Adam how to recognize things, how to name things, how to categorize things, and how to tell the difference between the things that were made for him, from him, and the things that were not. So by the time we give, go to verse 20, it says, And the man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that was suitable, a companion for him. And so it's like God has said, I want to make someone for you, but can you recognize her if you see her? Do you know what you need? Can you tell? Have you learned enough by working with me, by observing the Trinity, by looking at how this world is made? Have you learned? Have you picked up, oh man, who was made in my image? Can you tell that there is a way that the person made for you is supposed to look? Have you learned anything? And it looks like Adam had because he did not think a monkey was his wife and he did not think an elephant was his wife. And so after that exercise, the Lord caused a deep sleep. This is uh, verse 21. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, fashioned and formed into a woman and he brought her and presented her to the man. The same way um, God presented every other animal to the man. And this time, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Her name was woman. However, it's really interesting to note in Genesis chapter 3, after the curse, in Genesis 3 verse 20, it says the man named his wife Eve, life spring, life giver, because she was the mother of all the living. So Adam changed her name. Before, the, their combined identity was Adam, man and woman making up Adam, male and female making up the image of God. But after the fall, 
Adam caused a separation between them and said, you will be called Eve. And I find that that that's how we've kind of continued to deal with the differences between men and women. We've continued to separate ourselves as if we are not from the same one, as if it's not a rib that was taken out and fashioned into a woman, as if at the core of God's creation, he wasn't trying to replicate this triune um, independence dependence relationship that the father son and spirit have with each other however god still called them adam <laughs> verse 23 says therefore the lord god sent adam away from the garden of eden to till and cultivate the ground from which he was taken so god drove the man out for anyone who's christian listening to this we understand that jesus came to restore this relationship that was broken after the fall in Eden, we were in the presence of God. We lived there, we breathed there. Um, and in the presence of God, there was, as the Bible says, fullness of joy. There was provision. There was no worry. All we needed to do was, you know, God to create all these things. God to give us the instruction on how to till the earth, you know, to multiply. And basically, that's all we needed to do. In God's presence, there was already all the provision we needed. It was for us to multiply that, to cultivate that and to continue to be fruitful. That was really the instruction that God gave to male and female when he blessed them in Genesis chapter 1. And so we know that the the mandate for both male and female is to be fruitful and multiply, but we also see from the way our designs are that um, the way we're meant to contribute to this joint mission of being fruitful and multiplying is different. Hey, if you're still listening, thank you so much. I just want to remind you to please rate or like this podcast, regardless of what platform you're listening on. I would really appreciate it. And oh, please share it with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Thank you. Now let's get back to the episode. I want to talk a little bit about design. Um, when you see a, um, I've become fascinated with blenders recently because um, for the past year or so, I've been trying to be quite healthy and I don't really eat greens mostly in my food. Like I don't eat salads and stuff. So what I do is every day I try to make a green smoothie. Um, and I found that frozen spinach kind of like packs a bigger punch. So Whereas if you just take the leaves, you know, you'll need so much more. Each frozen cube packs so much more than like a bag of like loose leaf spinach. Anyway, and so because it's frozen in this way, um, you need like a relatively heavy duty blender. Maybe not that heavy duty, but you can just use a basic blender that you use for like tomatoes and stuff. And so I bought a blender and I'm so happy with it because the previous blender I was using, the blades had worn out and it started to take longer and longer for me to have my smoothie in the morning. Anyway, so I bought a blender and I put my spinach cubes into the blender and it blended it in a minute. I almost screamed. I was so happy. But when you look at the makeup of a blender... The blender has the engine part and the cup part. The cup part has the blade um, and the obviously the cup and the cover. The engine part has the engine. Now, you can have an amazing, fantastic blender engine with no cup. That engine is useless. 
and you can have an amazing like super sharp um blender blades in a nice like jug that's maybe like temperature controlled and maybe all those kinds of fancy things maybe you can like blend even hot things but if you don't have the right engine if you don't have an engine that fits you can't use the blender the purpose of the blender is to blend <laughs> to blend my frozen spinach um to blend blend our uh, stews and soups and you know another thing i'm really enjoying blending these days is oats um but you need them to work together now the argument would be which one is the more important the engine or or the cup i mean the engine is more powerful you know that's where all the power is but the cup <laughs> the cup is where all the action is and the cup has to fit with the right blender and the blades have to be tough enough to withstand, you know, frozen ice, frozen spinach. And it's the unity, it's the united blender that is effective. It's the united blender that's the point. I really believe genuinely in my heart that man and woman are now operating like a separated blender and blender jug i think that we're saying to ourselves i don't need the other and i think we do i think that a powerful engine maybe it can be repurposed for something else maybe like you know you can put something else that can spin on top of the blender engine and so you can feel cool with yourself but like should be should be is to spin let's spin away you know i mean i'm i'm the best spinner and we can say i'm working on my purpose i know how to be the best spinner ever and the blender jug can say oh my knives are sharp i can cut things if you shake me it will cut but you don't realize how powerful you are together that instead of all this you know using <laughs> using the blender blades the way you use like scissors you know to chop and chop and chop things and say look at how hard i've worked yes i've done it you know and instead of the engine saying ah, look i'm an engine anything that wants to spin can just you know can just come and go for a spin you don't realize that when you find the blender cup and blades that fit perfectly into the engine you can make the most fantastic smoothies in seconds one of the one of our favorite churchy quotes when it comes to marriage is one will chase a thousand but two will chase ten thousand and it sounds so amazing but i don't think we can see what that looks like i think that's telling us that on our own we're doing things we're moving forward and we're trying you know and obviously because we're not blenders we have the spirit of god in us there is a lot of power that we can exude there's a lot of impact that we can make in the world but I really think that it's only when that blender cup fits perfectly into the right blender engine that you will see really how powerful you are um, as a unit. I think that it is possible for men and women to not want to marry and to live relatively all right lives. I think that that's definitely a choice. I think that that's a choice because, you know, since the fall in the garden, I mean, if we look back in the garden, they were naked and unashamed, right? But once they ate of the fruit and their eyes were opened, it was still the same God whose original design was for them to be naked, who made clothes for them. Do you know what I mean? And so even though Jesus came and died on the cross for us, you know, and restored our relationship with God the Father, like, he didn't eradicate clothes. He didn't say, okay, let's go back to strolling around naked because now our relationship with God has been restored. No, we still wear clothes. Clothes are still a huge part of our lives and it's going to continue to be because I don't see I don't see any um any situation where on this earth, on this side of the of eternity, we will go back to being naked. And so I don't see any version of reality where 
everybody's going to get married. Not because that was not the original design, like nakedness was, <laughs> but because it's not feasible because there is still so much sin in the world. Nakedness now means something different. And you cannot insist that because to you, you don't care about nakedness, then you can walk around naked. Like you, you can't do that. You still have to respect the fact that this is the world that we live in. And so in that same way, there will be a purpose for someone who's not going to get married. There'll be a lot of purpose and impact that they're going to have. And so perhaps if we look at how God wanted women to be within the context of marriage, for instance, we can take that, the, the characteristics, the mannerisms, the patterns, the purpose, and we can see how women can express that in the world, whether it's at work, in our communities, in our families, in our friendships. And maybe there's a template that marriage provides that women can look to whether or not we get married. Maybe that's how even people who don't want to be married can still find value within the institution of marriage. Not as somewhere that you are pressured to go in and join to lower your standards or end up with somebody who's going to abuse you or hurt you. But as a way to say, okay, what is a woman? How does she behave within the context of marriage? And then how can we apply those characteristics, those skills? How can we have transferable skills that we can then apply to other areas of our lives? So that whether or not a woman chooses to be married, she can still see, recognize and actualize her value with or without the marriage. Um... I think what I'm suggesting is that maybe as I continue to do the study of what women are supposed to be like, maybe we'll find enough examples to show that even though within marriage you apply that to a husband and maybe to children, outside of marriage you can apply that to many other things. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that there's that kind of parallel, but I'm very open to one, hearing what you guys have to say, what you guys think, but most importantly seeing where God leads me um, as I do this study. A few people I've had conversations with seem quite resistant to the idea. And I think that's also what I want to understand because I always see my perspective from their perspective. And I'm really curious to know why it's such a problematic idea. One, to think that we can borrow characteristics from the Holy Spirit. And also two, within the context of marriage, how we can find our identity as women, whether or not we are in the institution by looking at how women are within the institution if that makes sense but the thing is if we don't recognize that there is a difference that women have a need and a design and a purpose and a way of functioning that is different from the way men function we won't be able to thrive in our roles fully I hope you've enjoyed listening um, and I really look forward to hearing your thoughts again um, I'm on social media I'm on Instagram very active on Instagram so please send me a DM at heyomotayo um, or send me an email um, heyomotayo at gmail.com I really this is the this is the one where I really really want to hear what you guys think more than every other episode that I've ever done and I will talk about exactly how I think the role of the Holy Spirit is a pattern that we can follow. But I'm just going to hint to what I think a little bit before I round up. I think that God the Father is the visionary. He's the one who has the picture. He's the one who has the idea of what he wants to create. And I think that God the Son, the Word, is the instruction that carries that power. I think God the Spirit is the power to execute and establish that idea when it comes to a marriage i think that the man 
carries a vision from God. I think that the woman is waiting on the man to share that vision with her because when he does, she will know instinctively if she has the power to help him execute it. And I think that she's able to stir up the the atmosphere. She's able to like how the spirit did in in Genesis 1 to brood over the darkness to ignite and spark the possibilities and open up the avenues to allow that to happen and i know it's not an exact one and again i'm going to do a little bit more bible study and break it down a bit more but i feel like a woman has that role i believe that a father is supposed to have a vision for how his family should be um, a godly vision and i believe that a husband is meant to share that vision with his wife there is an igniting and executing power within a woman to encourage and stir up and um, change the atmosphere and create an atmosphere of possibility that's what it is i think that the woman creates an atmosphere of possibilities for the words for the vision to be executed and i think that when we know that we would enter into that knowledge of our power not manipulation not negativity not trying to compete or argue or fight but to be confident in knowing that we are the ones who carry the spirit of possibility and if we choose to crank that thing up we can change the temperature of a place so that it is pregnant with the possibility and it can birth visions however small that vision is and however massive that vision is i believe that that's that's what a woman brings in i believe that it falls into things like our emotions the soft things, our feelings, our mood. Because you notice that when you're in a good mood, you can achieve so much more than when you're in a bad mood. Your capacity might be the same, but the possibilities that you can access are different. But yeah, I've enjoyed thinking through this with you. I really want to hear what you think. Once again, if you haven't subscribed, please do. Please like, please rate, please comment. Um, And I look forward to chatting with you in the next episode. Bye.